program. Now is the time for the leader to qualify. Please read the following at the beginning of your share. For those listening to the podcast, please note that you can now attend the kitchen sink meeting via Zoom while the stay at home order is in effect in Los Angeles. Go to oalaig.org for login information. Okay, it says I share till 9.30 and I get a five minute warning. Alrighty. Good morning, everybody. My name is Carl, I'm a compulsive overeater. It's great to see everybody here. Um, I spent 20 years of my life in this room with you people. You are truly my family. And I don't know where I'd be today without you. So, what it was like. I was born in Brooklyn and lived there for 32 years. Well, lived in New York City for 32 years. I went to college, went back, worked. I had a typical childhood. My only friend was food. Uh, I was not athletic. I was not smart. I was well-behaved. So I was the teacher's pet in elementary school, which in the late 50s and early 60s was uh, a curse. Um, I I like to eat. I like to isolate. I like to hide because nobody liked me because I came in as general manager of the universe. Uh, I wanted everyone to do everything my way. And if you didn't do it my way, I sent you to the highway. Needless to say, everyone got sent to the highway and I got left alone. It was a very lonely life, even in college where I was active in theater and involved with things and people. People liked me for my work ethic and how hard I worked. People didn't like me for the me. Uh, I once read about a character on a TV show and the, the, uh, char- the other actor said, we all loved the character, we didn't like the actor. And that's where I was. I wasn't liked, and at the time I didn't know it and I didn't care about it. Graduated college and now living in my own apartment, I could eat all the food I want. Thank God for me, it didn't show. I lived in New York, I walked a lot. Uh, It was the disco era, I spent a lot of time at the discos. I did a lot of dancing, I did a lot of carousing, and so I could eat without impunity. And that was great. After 32 years of living on the East Coast, I moved to the West Coast. I moved to Los Angeles and I was no longer dancing and I was no longer walking places. New York's a great walking city. I would walk a mile, a mile and a half just to get to work. And all of a sudden I was sitting at a desk and sitting in a car. And uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was no longer interacting with people. In New York, you interact with people all the time because you're on the subway or you're on a bus. So you're forced to interact with people. But I wasn't. I was in my car by myself. But OA, uh, LA is where I found Overeaters Anonymous. How I got here was a friend of mine uh, who was a binge buddy and a carouser with me. And we were mean and nasty and horrible to everyone and to each other. She found program and lost 150 pounds. Um, God bless my sweet Kate. May she rest in peace. Uh, I wasn't impressed with her weight loss. That didn't impress me because I didn't think I was that heavy. Uh, Although I was a nonstop eater. I ate constantly. I would eat breakfast at home. There was food in my car. I got to my desk. There was a big jar of a sugary substance on my desk that I kept filled. And I ate 
constantly. Then there was also, uh, I, then I'd, I'd bring my lunch and I'd eat that. And then there was a um, food truck that came by later in the afternoon and I'd go there and buy that, eat on the way home in the car, get home, eat dinner, put on a bathrobe and sit in front of the TV and eat some more. I did all of that. She went to Overeaters Anonymous, lost 150 pounds, and I was not impressed, except I was impressed that she wasn't as cruel and as mean and as cutting and as biting as she used to be. And she had the same problems. She lost the weight and she still had the same problems. She had a glint in her eye. She was very happy. She was happy. She was joyous. She was free of the obsession. That's what impressed me. I came for the sanity, and the vanity came with it. But I really came for the sanity. I wanted what she had. I liked the idea of being sane. I didn't know that that's what it was at the time. So I went to my first meeting in uh, Honolulu, Hawaii, on an Air Force base, which back in the 80s you could do. And it was very different from what we know now. And then I came back to the mainland. I went with her. She was living there. I went with her. And I came back to the mainland. And it still took me a couple of months or maybe even a year to go to my own, my first meeting. And I was very trepidatious. I didn't want to go. Uh, I, again, uh, I walked over to the meeting. It was at the old Gay and Lesbian Community Service Center over on Highland, which is not there anymore. And it didn't bother me going walking into the center. I have no problem being gay. That didn't bother me. But man, was I upset about having to go to this meeting. And as I walked in the door, there was a bathroom to the left of the door, the entrance door, and a friend of mine walked out. Very beautiful woman and said, oh, hi, Carl. Are you here for the OA meeting? And my, I must have turned white. She said, I said, yes, I am. She says, come on, I'll show you. I'm going there too. And that was my higher power taking care of me. I really think if my dear friend had not walked out of that room and asked me that question, I might have backed out because I didn't want it as badly as I, know, as I want it now. Now you can't get me away from a meeting. I mean, here I am. I, I live 2,400 miles away from LA and here I am coming to meetings. And by the way, this is my fourth meeting of the week, and I have two more to go. I'm now attending six meetings a week, and I've been around for 31 years because my learning doesn't stop. I found out from you guys that it's one day at a time, and that's all that I have. Oh, I guess before that, I was supposed to say I've got 28 years of continuous absence, one day at a time, because I forget when my OA anniversary is. I forget. Uh, how many years I have, I always have to stop and calculate because it's just one day. I only have today. When I got up this morning, I could have binged on breakfast. Uh, I could binge at lunch or dinner. I could eat foods that aren't appropriate to me. I could do all those things that I've done in the past that I know do not support my health, physical, emotional, or spiritual. In this program, both of my parents have passed away. Unfortunately, for for me, my dad died when I was still very new in program, and I was beginning to get the gist of it and beginning to understand it. 
unfortunately, I couldn't explain it well enough to him whenever I went to visit him. You know, we said, when are you going to stop going to those meetings? And I always said, I'd like to think that my last meeting will be my funeral because they tell us if two or more are there, it's a meeting. And I'd like to hope that I remain friends with two or more of you to come to my funeral. Anyway, he didn't get it. But in my faith, I am sequestered with my family for seven days after the death of a parent. With my dad, I was new in program. And I thought I was Mr. Hips looking cool because I abstained. At the time, I wasn't speaking to my sister. At the time, my brother and I didn't had a contentious relationship. And yet, here I am sequestered with them in a house. And uh, I was Mr. Hips looking cool because I abstained through that. My dad died in June, and I broke my abstinence in August. And I never figured, I didn't figure out why. I couldn't imagine. I was demoralized. I was upset. I couldn't understand it. I went crazy. And it bothered me tremendously. In retrospect, I found out what happened. I watched my food plan, but I did not increase my spiritual connection. I did not work with a higher power. I had heard from you guys about higher power. I had heard about God, and I thought I had the God thing down because I was a fairly religious person. I've since learned religion and spirituality, two different things. They are very compatible. They can live in conjunction with each other. But I, for me, I couldn't do one without the other. And so I broke my abstinence. And that was very, very difficult for me because I couldn't understand why. Once I got my abstinence back after that, I broke it again. Because again, I was working a food plan. I did not work my spiritual program. Once I got that component, once I finally understood, and I didn't understand that until I started working with a sponsor, who when he agreed to be my sponsor, I said, okay, I'll call you with my food tomorrow. He says, you know about food. We're going to work the steps. I had been in program for about three years at that point, and I had not worked the steps. I had not opened the big book unless I was at a meeting. I had not studied the steps or the traditions unless I was at a meeting where they were focusing on that. And so we started working the steps. And it was through the steps that I got my spiritual connection with the higher powers, through the, the tools and studying the steps that I learned to connect with the higher power. And so that was what I did, and that's what I do. I'd rather spend more time on what I do today, because to me, especially at this time when we're uh, in a stay-at-home order, it's real important for me to hear from you guys how you work your program. And so I want to tell you how I, I'm working my program today. Uh, before the program, before the stay-at-home, I was attending uh, two meetings a week here in Jacksonville. Uh, by the way, my phone number is Los Angeles, but I live in Jacksonville, Florida. I moved here to retire, which is part of my story also. I'm living a life beyond my wildest dreams. I would never have thought that I could retire and live comfortably in a place where there's program and where I still get to survive. I thought I'd be working till the day I died until I got into program and started realizing where I was in my life. So I was going to two meetings a week, calling my sponsor. Since the, since the pandemic, I'm now at six meetings a week. Uh, when I lived in Los Angeles, I spoke to my sponsor five days a week. I'm now speaking to him six days a week. 
when I lived in Los Angeles, I had fewer sponsees. I had more sponsees than I have. And now, through the blessing of Zoom and Skype and our modern technology, I have sponsees all across the country. And it's been a blessing. I was sponsoring a woman in West Germany for a while. And that was a blessing as, as well, because we have all this modern technology and I use it to the best of my ability because that's what supports my abstinence. That's what supports my recovery. So I'm at seven meeting, six meetings a week. I speak to sponsor, I speak to sponsees. And every day I end up reading, uh, I'm reading five daily meditation books. I read two in our program, two and two other programs, and one from my religious background, because I want to be reminded of my religious principles, because those are important to me as well. And they're always right on point. What I love about them, and I've been reading out of the same book for 25 years, yeah, it's 25 years now. I'm reading out of the same For Today book, 25 years. All these pages are the ones that I think that are important. Today, it said, Oh, what did it say? Today's the 23rd, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Speech is a mirror of the soul. As a man speaks, so is he. Oh, so it talks about honesty and self-knowledge and sharing and giving of myself. You know, is my speech, it is my speech that identifies me as an OA who is actively working the program. Yeah, I work the program. I read the books because they remind me because I have some time as disease. Sometimes I forget. I cannot tell you the number of times I've picked up these books and the Voices of Recovery the same way. I cannot tell you the number of times I've picked them up, read a page and go, I never read that before. I never, uh, they changed the words. That can't be true. That didn't change. I changed. Over the years, I've changed. I get new insights all the time. They tell me, they, you have told me that when the student is ready, the teacher shows up. And you guys keep showing up for me. You keep telling me what to do and how to do it. You keep telling me what I need to do and how to do it. And Oh, Carl, that's five minutes. Thank you, Ben. And you told me that I was not unique. I, excuse me? I came in, I was general manager of the universe. I was unique. And within the first month I was here, a situation came up. And I remembered what you said. You told me that whatever you're going through, someone in the rooms has gone through before you. Reach out. You don't have to do whatever you're doing alone. I always was alone. I was alone all the time. And so I thought I had to know it all. And I was brought up, as a lot of men of my era were, that we can do it all and we have to do it all and we're self-sufficient and just get out there and do it. And you told me that's not true. Well. Everything else you'd said had been true so far. So I listened to you and I called someone. It was one of the greatest gifts of my life. It was one of my first outreach calls. And it put me on a path of financial stability. It put me on a path of understanding finances, which I didn't get at home. You know, you shouldn't talk about the money because the kids shouldn't, you know, the kids shouldn't know. We needed to know. Well, because I didn't know, I wasn't taught. And because I wasn't taught, I didn't learn. And because I didn't learn, I was digging myself into deeper and deeper and deeper holes. There is nothing that I've gone through in my life, nothing that I've not brought to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. There's nothing I've not shared. My 
sex life, my dating life, my financial life, uh, anything that I've gone through. Have I gone through all of it with all of you? No. There are some things that I've only gone through with my sponsor and a few select people. But I've made, but I have found those people. You people gave me the friendships and the relationships that I have today to help me build on other relationships. I mentioned I have a sister. There were many years, over 50, well, about 50, that we did not talk. We lived in the same house. We did not get along. And of course, I blamed her until I started doing my fourth and fifth steps. And then I realized what my part was. And that wasn't nice. I didn't like that, but it was the truth. And through working on myself, I never, at that point in my life, I stopped trying to fix her. And up to that point, I'd always been trying to fix her. At that point in my life, I, I realized I couldn't fix her. I could only fix me. So I worked very diligently and very hard on fixing me. I kept working on fixing me. And how could I be a better me? My prayer every morning, after I read all these books, I spend time in prayer and meditation. Part of my morning prayer is, God, please let me be better today than I was yesterday and help me to be of service to others through you. Because I always was of service because if I do for you, you'll do for me. And I've learned how to be of service for service sake. But to get back to my sister, we didn't talk for 50 years. Today, we are best friends. I go to see her. She lives in Northern California. And all those years that we lived so close, we didn't get along. We get along. We are, we are best friends. We call each other. We care about each other. And I know what's going on in her life, and she knows what's going on in my life. It's a blessing of this program. It was only through this program that I had that relationship. That I can go and visit my brother and stay at his house and be with him is another blessing of this program. You, my family, gave me my biological family. The people in these rooms, by sharing openly and honest and by my willing to go to meetings. And when I lived in Los Angeles, I was working two jobs and getting up at 4.30 in the morning so that I could read my books and pray and meditate and then get my butt to meetings on weekends so that I could hear the recovery that you guys shared with us is what made me the man I am today. And I'm a hell of a guy today. I could not have said that even maybe 10 years ago. But I keep working on making me a better me. I keep working on how I can be the best me I can be. And so I'm going to end now a minute early, which is unusual for me, because I want to hear your questions. Thank you so much for letting me share. Okay, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not of those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. I'll call on you and then you can unmute yourself. Okay, let me see. Uh, Nancy B. Good morning. My name is Nancy. I'm a compulsive overeater and definitely a hundred pounder. I've walked this path with you since the day you walked in the door. And I feel like I was listening to me. We had this foundation together and God drew us to meetings where we just 
had a chance to get well. It took a long time. Um, Carl, when I got up this morning, I was thinking, if every person I had seen who walked through the rooms of OA or AA or recovery rooms had gotten it and stayed here, I don't think the world would be in the mess it is today. And your question is? What gave us the chance? What happened? What things do you think you heard or what have you done that has given you the ability to let God in and stay here and abstain for so long? Okay. I think it's individual. I think every one of us has our own little thing that will keep us here. For me, it was the spirituality and the relationship with the higher power that led to other things. For some people, it may be something else. But just as all of our abstinences are different, just as all of our binge foods are different, all of our reasons for coming and or staying in the rooms are different. Thanks for the question. Uh, Julie Taylor. Hi, thank you. Um, in terms of being uh, solitary and thinking you know everything, how did you get to uh, the vulnerability to ask for help? When I, when I could not keep my abstinence, that's when I realized I needed help. When, uh, after I, after my, my break, after my dad's death, I we could get six weeks. I could get two months. I could get three days. And, that's, and I also was going to meetings, and I saw that the people that had what I wanted had sponsors. And so I decided to do what they did. So I listened to them as to what they did when they said they went to 15 meetings or 30 meetings in 30 days. I listened to what the winners were doing. I, I, there were some people I, I, right away, I, I, I just saw them as winners or people that I was really respecting. And so I did what they did. My, the man I asked to be my sponsor had a sponsor. He wrote every day. He read every day. He, you know, he did the things, and he had a background similar to mine. He had what I wanted. And so when I finally got the right sponsor, by the way, my first sponsor did have everything I wanted. He had the house I wanted, the car I wanted, the boyfriend I wanted, and the job I wanted. Didn't say a word about program, did I? So I had to learn. So I had a few failures. and uh, But for me, it's listening to you guys and working with people that, I can tr- that I've learned to trust over the years. Thanks for your question. Uh, Debbie in D.C. Hi, thank you for your qualification. I really appreciated everything I heard and resonated with me. Um, it sounded like a lot of promises. And uh, the promises happened after the ninth step, which made me think about your family, your dad, your sister, and how you had really bad relationships with them. Um, and I have resentment about a lot of people in my life. And I'm just wondering if you could talk about uh, making amends. Thank you. Good question, Debbie. Thank you. Um, Making amends with my dad was a lot easier than with my sister. Uh, With my dad, and we had a lot of baggage, but I just kept working on me as best I could. Unfortunately, he got ill, and I didn't get to make all of the amends in person that I would have liked to. Um, One of the main ones I made to him was about how much I had lied uh, when I was uh, a kid, and he, my famous story about that is he said, yeah, we always knew when you were lying. And I said, how'd you know? And he said, your lips were moving. And I go, you know, busted. It was the truth. But I did the best I could with my dad because I really wasn't that deep into program and I couldn't, 
I didn't understand enough to do. And so a lot of the amends I made to him, I've made at his graveside. And I've made it my, my job to go to his graveside and do that. Uh, with my sister, it was a lot of long, we used to call them bull sessions, a lot of heart-wrenching sessions over the phone. And by the time that happened, which was only 10 years ago, by the way, uh, we were both uh, mature adults. I had worked on myself. She had worked on herself. And at one point after we had gone back and forth about some of the things we decided that we really liked each other who we were today. And to use the phrase, we would not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We said we were sorry and we moved on and we have a beautiful relationship. We don't delve in it. Um, it's really not necessary. We like each other who we are today. Thanks for your question. Ruth G. Please unmute yourself. Oh, you are. Hi. Thank Hi. you so much. Thank you to this meeting. Um, it's been a really important part of my recovery. I'm calling from the East Coast. I am wondering about your 11th step. Do you use a format on a daily basis? And if you do, how do you keep yourself from getting bored? Do you have to change the format a bunch? Um, I find that sometimes I get bored and I, I'm not sure what to do about it. So thanks. I'll pass. Thanks for the question. Um, well, I start out, as I said, by reading five, five different books. And I started doing that when I was working multiple jobs and I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning after going to sleep at 11 or 11.30 at night. And so I found the best way for me to really understand what the books were saying was to read each page twice. Because the first time I read it, is, you know, it just didn't always register. And that's, that's just who I am. But then when I'm done with the books, um, I give myself 10 minutes of prayer and 10 minutes of, of meditation. My, my, my prayers always start out the same way. And it's never bored me because the first thing I do is I say, God, thank you for the gift of life. I'm grateful I woke up this morning. Because I've had friends who haven't. And then I thank God for the ability to get out of bed on my own. And uh, that all of my body parts and all of my organs are functioning. And once I've got those out of the way, there just seems to be a whole bunch of things to be grateful for. And so I start, and I try to keep it to half of it, but I, I just get into gratitude. I'm grateful for the life I have. I'm great, grateful for my home, my car, my friends, my family, my away family, who I would be lost without. And I get into gratitude. And then I try to remember who in my life needs prayers. Uh, there are people in my life that are sick, uh, physically and some emotionally and some spiritually, and I pray for them. At this time in my life, I'm praying for all the first responders and all the essential people that go to work every day and are putting their lives on the line. I'm grateful for them because they make my life easier. So. Those are my prayers. That's who I pray for. I pray for people that are sick, that, are, that may be ill. And I, I pray that we all make it through. Then I go into meditation. My mantra has changed over the years. And it's just quiet time for me to be with my higher power. If for some reason I can't get my mind quiet, and I, I've noticed if I try to meditate later in the day, I just can't turn it off. 
the hamster is going in that wheel and I just can't stop it. And I accept that. And that's why I do it first thing in the morning. I need to do it when it's quiet and it's peaceful. Also, I'm very blessed. I have a beautiful home and where I sit, I look out onto a lagoon and on the other side of the lagoon is greenery and shrubbery. And it's just, it's beautiful nature. And I thank God for the nature and I thank God for the beauty uh, that I get to see. I hope that helps. And my number's up there. If you want to talk more about it, please don't hesitate to call me. Thanks for asking the question. Leslie L. Carl, just an FYI, you have about four minutes left. Thank you, Carol. Oh, excuse me, uh, Carol. FYI, I'm the timer. FYI, I can see it and we're wasting time. Leslie, ask you to unmute yourself. <laughs> Hi, Carl. Thank you. That was wonderful. It's very inspiring. Um, my question is this. I just joined OA in February of this year. Welcome. I'm, 70, I'm 71 years old. What words of encouragement do you have when I sink down into this, um, uh, I'll never finish, um, what's the point, that kind of thinking, that kind of negative thinking? Great question. And Leslie, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And I'm also 71 years old. True, I started 31 years ago, but you know what? It's one day at a time. And I'd like to think that someday I'll quote finish, but I've got 28 years of absence. My sponsor has 38 and his sponsor has 40 something. And we keep coming back because there's always something new to learn. I would love to talk to you more about that, especially as a fellow senior citizen. My number is next to my name. Please take it and please call me. Uh, Again, just please remember, I'm on the East Coast, so 10 o'clock at night in L.A., don't call me. But uh, please definitely give me a call. I'd love to talk to you more about it. Thank you. Ben Gilbert, your question, please. Hey, buddy. Um, hey. My question is, how do you um, – you've dated – if you've dated a normie, a person who's not in program, how do you do your food plan and – try to not make their food plan which their own business how, how do you try to date through that thank you great question i've only dated people that aren't in program and uh the first lesson i had to learn was three words no thank you so do you want to taste this no thank you do you want a bite of this no thank you i'm going shopping do i you want me to get you anything no thank you I'm responsible for my own food, okay? So that's in the very beginning of the relationship. As I get further into the relationship, I tell them the truth. I'm a compulsive overeater. I mean, they're going to see me going to my meetings. They're going to hear the phone ringing. Am I talking or walking away from them so I can talk? Um, it's part of my life. It's who I am. It's part of my DNA right now. Um, and... Usually at the very beginning of dating, I would say, you know, uh, especially if people bring dessert, at the very first dessert offering, if we're out, I have to say, I don't eat refined sugar. And if they say you don't, I go, yeah, I'm allergic. They say you're allergic. I go, yes, I break out in fat. So um, I put a little levity in it, but I, I just keep it. And my food is my food. And I, and I am responsible for my food. No one else is. Thanks for the question. Lillian. Oh, Carl, you got five minutes. Thank you. 
very quickly, what would you say is your average food plan for the day? Like, what do you eat on an average day? Okay, thanks for the question. Uh, every day breakfast is the same. I eat a bowl of oatmeal. I've been doing it for years, love it. And it's great for my cholesterol or lack thereof, which is what we're aiming for. Uh, because of my lifestyle, I've made lunch my major meal. And it's usually a protein and a vegetable, and sometimes a few uh, appropriate crackers, which means it's usually, we're not supposed to mention brand names, so I won't, but I mean, they're whole wheat. And then dinner many times is just something light. You know, I just try to keep it light. It'll be yogurt and, and some fruit or yogurt and some vegetables or yogurt and some walnuts. And um, during the day, I used to be drinking a lot of diet soda. I've given that up thanks to kidney stones. Uh, so now I drink a lot of water and I'm full. I am very happily full. I don't eat a lot of food. It's amazing how little food I eat and uh, I'm still healthy. And uh, my doctor likes uh, my progress. That's the other thing I've learned that a healthy body weight gets to be defined by my doctor, not by me because my healthy body weight to me would make me look anorexic. So thanks for the question, Lillian. Uh, Terrence Ross. Hi there, I'm Terry from New York, compulsive liver eater. Uh, hi, Terrence. Hi there. I've heard you. This is the second time I've heard you. It was great to hear you, Carl. I'm Thank interested you. in what uh, you're welcome. Um, are you familiar if, uh, if you have thoughts on what Bill Wilson said about the fourth dimension? That's my question. Do you have any uh, thoughts about that? No, I'm not familiar with it. Okay. Thanks anyway. It's in the it's in the big book, but yeah, I know. I mean, I, I've heard it and, I, and I, I've read it, and um, but. Nothing that I can really add to what's in the big book. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions? I've run out of questions. Can I ask a question, Carl? Of course, Carol. I think as a host, I don't think I can raise my hand. Um, there's obviously, thank you for your sharing. You know, I've heard you speak a lot of time and there's something in particular that you often share that I would love for you to share with this large group that we have today. Um, you would sometimes talk about how you, a, a metaphor that you realized your dad and you were uh, communicating on different frequencies. And once, once you yeah. realized that, it was a key. So if you could share that a little more eloquently than I just did um, for the group, I think it's really valuable. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. I get a little... Uh, anyway, um, while I was in program, I realized that my father loved me, which even now is hard for me to say because I didn't realize it while he was alive. As a matter of fact, at his coffin side, um, I was crying. And my brother and sister both came over to me and said, you know, he loved you the best. And I said, no, I didn't know. And now it's too late to tell me. I was new to program. And so it wasn't too late to tell me. And what I finally realized in doing all my work on my dad here in program is he was telling me he loved me. And the best way I can explain it is he was broadcasting on AM and my receiver was set to FM. And when you do that, all you get is a lot of static. He showed his love the only way he knew how. And, um, as an example, I got in trouble with the law. He called his friend who was the district attorney of Brooklyn to defend me. I got in trouble. I, I totaled a car and I came home from college and I went to work with him the next day. And he said, why don't you drive? 
my father was known to be able to drive to his own funeral. He would let nobody drive, let alone drive with him in the car, because he, he wanted me to, quote, get back on the horse. But that was the only way he knew how to show love. He didn't know how to show it the way I was looking for it. And I didn't know how to communicate to him what I was looking for. So over the years, I've realized that he really did love me and he did the best he could with what he had. I never thought in program that my parents, especially my dad, would wake up in the morning and say, okay, how can we screw Carl over today? I never, now that I realize, I think I thought that. I may have thought that as a child, but I don't think it now. And I think he did the best he could with what he could, and I'm grateful for it. And with that, my time is up. Thanks for letting me share, everyone.